Good morning, Grace Baptist Church. Good morning, Brother White. And certainly it's a great privilege and an honor for me to be able to open the Bible and preach the Word of God. Uh, of course, when Brother White and I planned this meeting a few years ago, we never intended that it would go like this. Who could have saw that? And the answer of that, of course, is the Lord saw that. And the Lord knows tomorrow he's already been there. And, and that's why with a world that swirls in fear and panic, we can certainly take great confidence in our living God. We're praying for you and trusting that God will use the word that is preached in these days to do great works in hearts and in lives of his people, as well as the man, the woman without Christ. And then we just trust and pray as well that God continues to protect and, and give health and strength to his people at Grace Baptist Church. Uh, what a joy, though separated by a border we can't cross through and, and separated by the, the pangs of a disease the world suffers, what a great joy it is to be able to open the Bible, the living eternal words of God for in a world that changes on a dime. I'm grateful and, th well, on a loony. I'm grateful and thankful that we still have a book that never changes, that we worship and serve a savior that never changes. I certainly miss a whole lot about not being in sorry in these days. Of course, I miss the fellowship of the church and I always, always enjoy spending time with your pastor, not just in a preaching service or, or when the assembly meets, but, but I always enjoy the fellowship over a cup of coffee, over a lunch and, and uh, just a good conversation about the work of God. I, I just enjoy his passion for the Lord. I appreciate your love for Christ. Uh, Miss Tim Horton's coffee, but uh, a couple other things, I suppose, and, and uh, yet the Lord knows those things, and we look forward to the day when, once again, we fellowship in person, either here, there, or in the air. My even so come, Lord Jesus. I've been convicted uh, of something in my own life. How, how often do we pray for the kingdom of God to come? And yet, that is right there repeated in the New Testament for us. Pray that God's kingdom would come. Pray for the second coming. Could we just do this? Could we just make it a matter of prayer. Lord Jesus, you know, it's be a good time to come. Even so come, Lord Jesus. It ought to be the prayer of a righteous person. May that indeed be in our heart and on our lips. Let me invite you to open your Bible this Sunday morning to the book of Luke in chapter 12. The book of Luke in chapter 12, of course, as you come to the middle of the book of Luke, the Lord Jesus is on a, low, a long and slow journey that ultimately will bring him to Jerusalem, to Calvary, where he will pay the price for you and for me. Along the way, there were a lot of miracles. Along the way, there were a lot of messages. Along the way, he is going to deal with, well, what I call the religious establishment, the Pharisees and the scribes. He is going to deal with the multitudes, and, and of course, he is going to build his disciples to make them strong for that moment when he would ascend to heaven in the cloud and they would step forward to change a world for Christ. So in Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus Christ is, shall we say, ratcheting up the preaching. And it's getting harder and it's getting hotter. And, and why is the multitudes are gathering? I so much respect the fact that the Lord Jesus would never soften the message. The Lord Jesus would never tone things down so that he could have a crowd. Why, even as you come to Luke chapter 12, I mean to tell you, the preaching is very different from what you will hear in modern houses of religion. In my land of the United States, I fear in your land of Canada as well. Why, modern houses of religion don't preach like Jesus did when he pointed to the religious establishment and he told the people, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
You won't hear too many modern ministers preach the words that Jesus did. In Luke chapter 12 and verse number 5, But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Brother White, it seems in these days that preaching on hell and preaching on the fear of God is something that's just no longer allowed, no longer tolerated. Why modern houses of religion have softened the word of God to the place where they no longer preach the whole counsel of God. If that weren't enough, in verse number 11, he has a message for his disciples. And when they bring you into synagogues and into magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. My friend, do you follow this morning as the preaching is just building? And the Lord Jesus says to the multitudes, the religious establishment that you have come to honor and you have come to respect is laden down with hypocrisy. He looks at a lost crowd and says, you better fear the one that can cast you into hell, not the one who can take your physical life. And now he tells his disciples, it's not gonna get any easier. The day is coming where you'll be hauled in before government officials. The day is coming where you'll stand before justices and judges. The day is coming when you're going to be sentenced for the crime of preaching the Bible and standing up for Jesus. Those words seem to be a whole lot more real to us, don't they? And so as you follow Luke chapter 12, preaching against the hypocrisy of religion, preaching on the reality of hell, preaching on persecution that God's people are going to face, you would think that by the time you come to verse number 13, that things would be awfully quiet. Yet in Luke chapter 12, verse number 13, one of the company, the multitude, said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Really? Father, we ask for your help now as we open the Bible and I pray for Grace Baptist Church that you'd protect them, bless them. May the word of God speak to your children. For someone this morning who has never been born into the family of God, how I pray that God's word would convict them. They would understand they could gain the whole world, but if they lose their soul, what profit is it? Now, Lord, for your people, for your children, may you remind us yet again that we can live for what the world offers or we can live for eternity, but we can't do it both ways. May you help us set our priorities in these evil days. I ask it in the great name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen. Have you ever asked yourself, if I had one opportunity to ask one question of the Lord Jesus Christ, what would you do? What would you say? I got to tell you, when I come to Luke chapter 12, and you know, we never want to overestimate ourselves, and, and we always want to remember how frail and likely we are to make a real mess of things, but I've got to tell you, if I am sitting there that day or standing there that day and listening to Jesus preach a red-hot message about hell and listening to Jesus condemn the hypocrisy of religion and listening to Jesus tell his disciples that one day you will suffer greatly for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to tell you, I hope that I would be wise enough not to say a thing. 
But no, no, we come to verse number 13 and after preaching about religion and its phoniness, after preaching about the reality of hell, after preaching about persecution and suffering for the Lord, all of a sudden here's a man waving his hand. A man in the multitudes, he's got something really important to say. He's got something really important to ask the Lord Jesus Christ. After hearing about hell, after hearing about persecution, what could possibly be so important that in the midst of a great company of men and women, in the midst of a great multitude, you have got to get the attention of Jesus and you have something to say. I got to tell you, this must be really, really important. And it's all the more stunning, is it not, when we read verse number 13 and the man pretty much says, I don't care about heaven or hell. I, I don't really care about the deceit of religion. I I'm really not too interested and I'm not too worried about the all the rest you're preaching of. But Lord Jesus, I've got something that's far more important than all of that. I need you to speak to my brother, and I need you to tell him to divide the inheritance with me. Now, isn't that nice of the gentleman? He's really doing the Lord a favor, isn't it? I, I mean, he comes along like he's asking a question, but really, if you look at it carefully, he's not asking Jesus. He is telling Jesus what to do. He is basically saying, you know, I'm ordering you to intervene, but don't worry, Lord. I already can tell you what you're supposed to do. I can already inform you what the verdict needs to be. My brother's a crook, and I need you to tell him to divide the inheritance with me. Well, in verse number 14, he, that's Jesus, said unto him. Now, remember the setting. There's a great company of people. A little earlier in, in Luke, we read how they are troding on one another, tripping over each other. And in another text, they're shoving each other. I, I mean, the crowd is massive, and it's only growing all the more. And now in the midst of this crowd, this man who decides his inheritance is more important than eternity. It is more important than living for God. It is more important than the vanity of religion, <clears throat> this man who is waving his hand in the midst of the company to get Jesus' attention, the Lord is finally going to look at him and my, does he ever come right back. Verse 14, and he said unto him, man. Now maybe we don't appreciate that in our North American culture, but in the Middle East, the Lord Jesus is being extremely harsh with the man. Some of you perhaps have taken a tour of Israel or, or, or perhaps you visited other Middle Eastern lands and, and it's impressive, is it not? Because no matter where you go, no matter what shop you visit, no matter what restaurant you enter, any place you go in the Middle East, be it Israeli, be it Arab, Jewish or Arab, no matter where you go, why, the first thing they call you is friend. And you know, that's found in the word of God. Friend, friend, the Lord Jesus could even say, friend, betrayest thou me with a kiss. For the Lord Jesus to look at this man and use the word, uh, to this gentleman and use the word man, it is very harsh. It is very distant. The Lord Jesus is looking at him with strong words. And he is saying, sir, who do you think you are? What kind of question is this? Man, what are you doing? He said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He could say a bit later, I'm straightened in my innards. I am going to Calvary. The pressure on me is enormous. I have a work to do from my father that matters forever and forever. And all of a sudden, you want to stop everything. You want to interrupt the preaching. And you want me to tell your brother to divide the inheritance with you. Man, what's your problem? Man, you have some real issues. The Lord Jesus is on the verge of being very disrespectful to this man.
Well, he didn't stop there, did he? In verse number 15, he said unto them, meaning either the rest of the multitude or to his disciples or to both, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesseth. There you go. The Lord Jesus does what he does so expertly. He puts his finger right on the problem. And for all the excuses we humans come up with, and for all the reasons why, and for all the self-justifications that we come up with, the Lord has an incredibly intense way of getting right to the heart of the matter. Of course he does. Because the Lord knows my heart better than I know my own heart. He knows your heart this morning better than you know your own heart. And when the gentleman stands there saying, I got a problem because there's this inheritance and my brother, my older brother presumably, has not divided the inheritance with me. So as a rabbi, I need you to be the mediator. But let me tell you what to do. Tell him to divide it. The Lord Jesus says, you know what your problem is, sir? Forget inheritance. Forget your brother. Your problem is a heart that is full of covetousness. And so basically in verse number 15, he is still pointing at the man and he is telling the rest of the people around him, watch this guy, look at this guy, notice this guy. Make sure that you are not like him. Because he tells the crowd that day, ladies and gentlemen, life is not in our stuff. Life does not consist of the abundance of the things that we possess it. Malcolm Forbes is the one who's famous for the saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. He's the kind of man who would spend a million dollars on a Fabergé egg, the man who had toys and treasures on every side. And yet when the man died without Christ as his savior, he discovered that you may get all the toys the world can give, but that doesn't make you a winner. The one who dies with Jesus Christ as savior is the one who has gained absolutely everything. And now the Lord Jesus is going to take the question of this man. And I've got to tell you, this is a very unique thing in the Bible. It's not an isolated story. Because what happens is the Lord is basically pointing at this guy through the rest of the chapter. And he is looking at first the multitude, then he is going to narrow it in to his disciples, and he is going to tell them, don't be like him. I I've got to tell you, this guy is turning into not just a message, he is turning into three messages for the ages. The Lord Jesus says, don't be like him. This morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 12 and be reminded from the question of this foolish man that if we're going to be like him and live for covetousness, then we're not going to be prepared for eternity. A little later in Luke chapter 12, he would look at his disciples and say, don't be like him. I mean, he doesn't get away from this guy. More accurately, this guy doesn't get away from Jesus. And Jesus is going to tell the disciples, don't be like him. Don't be like him. Because if you do, your life will be full of fretting and worry that you're going to lose your stuff. And then he goes one step further and he tells his beloved disciples, don't be like this man because if you are consumed with covetousness, if your life is wrapped up in the abundance of stuff or mammon that you can get, don't you know it's going to cool your heart to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't be like him. Don't be like him. Why, the Lord Jesus is going to point that man out, not just for a few verses in Luke, but for the ages in the eternal words of our God. He looks at the crowd. He looks at the disciples. Don't be like this man.
So in verse number 16, Jesus has a story to tell. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now I recognize in a church like Grace Baptist Church, you know where this is going. And if you don't, it is going to the point, an extremely unbelievable point, where the God of heaven is going to look at a man and say, Thou fool. You understand, this is the God of heaven through the lips of the Lord Jesus looking at that man in the multitude waving his arms saying, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Basically, Jesus is looking at the crowd saying, God thinks this man is a fool. This is where it's going. It is going to the condemnation of the man. So you know he's a fool and I know he's a fool. And the Bible reminds us for all of eternity and the word of God that shall never pass away that the man is a fool. But you know, had we lived in his day and this story not just been a parable, but a true story, nobody would think he was a fool. I mean, look what the Bible says. He was a rich man. Well, they had their version of the prosperity gospel back then, just like you and I in Canada and the United States are cursed with it today. God wants you rich and God wants you wealthy and God wants you healthy and God wants you to have all the dreams and all the stuff that you ever wanted. And so the prosperity gospel said back then, if you are rich, you are blessed of God. What a false doctrine that is. And so now we would start the story reading about a certain rich man. And, and in the day, you and I know where it goes, but in the day, they didn't know where Jesus was going. So the first impression they have of the gentleman is that he's rich. He must be blessed of God. But you know, it's not just that he was a rich man. Notice the Bible tells us that he was a man who had ground. It doesn't say the farm of a certain rich man or the ranch of a certain rich man. No, the Bible tells us that he had ground. He, he didn't have just a field now, but he had a region of land. So we are talking about a man who is an incredible landowner. The description Jesus gives in the story in verse number 16 is that the ground is producing. There are extensive holdings. This is not really a farmer now. This is not the story of a rancher here as much as it is the story of a businessman who has great land holdings. And the Bible tells us it's an exceptional year. Why, if you own land and you own property, it must have been a good one. For the word of God tells us the land brought forth plentifully. He is already a wealthy man, and yet now his territory, now the region that he owns, the great land holdings are bringing forth abundantly. The man was rich, now he is even richer. So, Mr. Rich Man, what are you going to do with your surplus? Verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? We're going to see something begin in verse number 17, and it's not the only time you will read about it in the book of Luke. It is the story of someone who has a conversation with himself. Twelve times in Luke, the Bible tells us how people are thinking in themselves or they're praying to themselves. You know, there's a real problem with that. When a human is so isolated that God cannot affect their life, their friends and their family cannot affect their life, when someone is so arrogant and so proud like this man in the story that why there is no other advice worth seeking, there is no other opinion worth knowing, then all that is left is for somebody to talk to themselves. Most of the time in the book of Luke, when somebody is thinking to themselves, talking to themselves, or praying to themselves, they wind up defying God 
and defying the word of God. His covetousness has made him a selfish man. That's the way it works, doesn't it? The more stuff I get, the more I got to make sure that you don't get my stuff. The more I need to protect my stuff. The more I want to guard my stuff. The more my stuff becomes important to me. And my stuff is more important than family. My stuff is more important than friends. My stuff is more important than even God. It's the danger of mammon. It's the danger of stuff. The more that we collect, the more we desire it. And the more we desire it, the more we do anything to get it. And the more we get it, the more we have to do whatever it takes to protect it. And people who are covetous normally turn into people who are isolated. Nobody else to talk to. So Mr. Super Businessman talks to himself. The Bible tells us in verse number 18, he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Once again, we are reminded the man is an exceptional businessman. Now, most people would, in their human way of thinking or their poor business way of thinking, most people would say, all right, we've got this great uh, land holding. The ground has brought forth fruit. I guess what I need to do is bring in the crops and bring in the supply. I need to get it to the market so I can make more money. But you know, this man is brilliant, isn't he? He, he says, this is what I'm going to do because, you know, if I saturate the market, then all that's going to happen to the price of lentils is they're going to go down. And for all the labor and all the work, I'm, I'm just going to cut my own throat here. So he said, I'm not going to go flood the market. But he said, what I'm going to do is pull down my barns and build bigger and greater barns. That's an exceptional thing. The businessman realizes, you know, my ground is bringing me a profit. So if I take the barns that I have and go build more barns, then he said, the problem with building more barns is that I'm going to take up ground that makes the profit for me. He, he's brilliant, isn't he? So instead of going and building more barns, he said, I'm going to tear down the barns I have. I'm going to build bigger barns and better barns. That way the ground keeps producing. That way the crop keeps coming in. But when the barns are bigger and the barns are better, well, then the crops and the goods, they just stay in the barns until the price of beans gets higher. I mean, on every account, you understand this man is an exceptional businessman. I tell you, we are looking at somebody with incredible amounts of money. We are looking at somebody with incredible business acumen. There is not one of us who respects a businessman, but that we wouldn't look at this guy and say, he's pretty sharp. He is very honorable. He knows a lot about his business. He knows exactly what to do. The man doesn't flood the market. The man doesn't lose his ground. Instead, he builds bigger barns and he builds bigger, uh, better barns and why this man is an exceptional, exceptional businessman. But would you notice in verse number 18, he wasn't just building the barns to bestow all his fruits. No, it's more than that. It would appear the Bible says he was doing it to bestow all of his goods. So he wasn't just in the food business, he was in the goods business. So in a USA, we are looking at one of our great businessmen, you know, like a Sam Walton, who started Walmart. We're looking at somebody here who's in the business of goods, the grocery stores. Why? You go into this place and you talk to this man, and it's not just, well, I'm putting bananas out here or apples over here or figs over here or dates over here. But the man says, no, it's a whole lot more than that. He is selling fruits. He is selling goods. Those barns are storage rooms where he can put his goods. He can put his business. He can put his stuff. Why, this man is a brilliant businessman. And I emphasize that because you know God's going to call him a fool. And I know that God is going to call him a fool. But there is no human way that you and I would look at a man like this 
and say that he was a fool. What a brilliant, brilliant businessman. And now, after he comes up with the plan, not, not, I'm not gonna lose any ground here. I'm just gonna build bigger and better barns. I'm not gonna flood the market with my products so the price goes down. No, after he brilliantly executes his plan, look at his thinking in verse number 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. This is getting worse, isn't it? He started out by talking to himself, and now he is talking to his soul. And that's a dangerous thing. Because, you know, when a man talks to himself, he might say, I need to cut this business deal. I, I need to do this over here. I need to fix this. I need to get that. Uh, uh, that may be one thing. But when a man starts talking to his soul about eternity, he is treading on very dangerous ground. When it comes to your eternal soul, when it comes to my eternal soul, we better not be thinking and going to our own opinions. We better make sure we talk to the one who rules the soul. We better talk to the one who determines whether that soul is in heaven or in hell for eternity. We better make sure we're not talking to ourselves. We better talk to God. It's getting serious. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine easy drink and be merry. What a silly conversation to have with your soul. You know, a body needs the barns and the goods and the fruits and the clothes. A body needs at least some stuff if it is going to live and if it is going to exist. But when it comes to the soul, taking your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, it is not a conversation to have with your soul because our soul doesn't need food. Our soul soul doesn't need water. Our soul doesn't need stuff. Our soul doesn't need clothing. But what our soul needs is a savior. A body may need the things that man could sell in his store, but a soul needs the bread of life that can only come from a savior, the water of life that can only sustain from heaven. The body needs a barn, but the soul needs a, a Bible. And the man thinks I've got it made. So my soul and myself we're going to eat, drink, and be merry. There's some fascinating things in the statement. You notice when the Bible tells us he decides I'm going to take thine ease. It's what he tells his soul. The phrase take thine ease is a verb that tells us it's a lasting thing. It is a continual thing. In other words, he says, this is not I'm going to take a couple days here and go out to the mountains out east and, and just get away from the city of Vancouver and relax. It is not that I'm going to go out and find a nice lake someplace in the beautiful mountains of British Columbia and, and throw a line in the water and relax. But the phrase take thine ease is active he is going to be on a permanent vacation he is going to enjoy the rest of his life and while that verb take thine ease says this is what I'm actively going to do it's interesting that the verb be merry is a different kind of verb it, it tells us that he convinces himself that if I am going to have a merry life, it will only come by eating and drinking. So I am going to take it easy every day, but it is by eating and drinking. Those are the things that are going to give me a merry life. It would appear as you come towards the end of the story that there is no family. There are no friends. There are no co-workers. And when it's all said and done, he's got a lot of big barns. And he's got a lot of goods and a lot of grain. And he's got a lot of stuff. But it doesn't seem as if he has a whole lot of friends. His covetousness has made him a lonely man. His covetousness has made him a foolish man. His covetousness has made him a selfish man. 
And yet for all of that, it is only going to get worse in verse number 20. The Bible tells us that God said unto him, thou fool. Could I remind you this morning, not one of us would look at this man on the streets of Surrey, British Columbia. Not one of us would meet him up the road in the mall. Not one of us would step into the office of a lawyer or step into the office uh, 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 of some businessman and meet this gentleman. Not one of us, by any stretch of the imagination, would ever accuse this man of being a fool. And it is a very unusual and a rare thing for God to ever call a man a fool. You might think in your mind, well, in the Psalms, there are texts, are there not, that tells us that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And of course there are. And yet verses like that is the Bible way of saying a man who does this is a fool. A man who thinks like this is a fool. But that's not what happens here. This is not God saying you are like a fool or you are behaving in a foolish way. This is not a general principle that you would find in the book of Proverbs about the foolish man. This is God in heaven saying, thou fool. God is not saying you are like a fool. God is saying you are a fool. In our New Testament, there are four different kinds of fools, four different words for fool. A man can be called a fool, meaning that he is mindless. Another man might be called a fool because he was without wisdom. Another man could be called a fool because he is a moron. Someone else could be called a fool because they are foolish and they do stupid things. And the word that we find is that fourth description. You and I would say this man is brilliant. This man is exceptional. This man is incredibly talented. But God said the man is incredibly foolish, incredibly stupid. Because I have a big crop, he thinks I can now relax and I can enjoy my life. Many things are going to produce a good life for me. It is a formula of foolishness. And all of a sudden, the plans, and all of a sudden, the vacations, and the holidays, all of a sudden, the great investments, they're all broken by the words of heaven. Because in verse number 20, for all the planning of his business and all the planning of his retirement and all the planning of the good times to come, there was one thing that never entered into the equation. And in verse number 20, but God said unto him, thou fool, this night, tonight, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Sir, there is no time for you to change now. There is no time for you to repent now. There will be no time for you to even rewrite your will now. Sir, you are looking for all the pleasures and all the good times, and you think you are set for life, and you may be set for life. You have may, Maybe you have more money, certainly does, than any human could use. Uh, you have more vacation homes. You have more stuff. You have more things than anyone could want. You, sir, are set for life but you know the problem with being set for life and this verse defines it the problem with being set for life is you never know how long that life is and for God he says you don't even have 24 hours left you're going to die tonight then who shall those things be which thou hast provided 
We're right back where we started, aren't we? The whole story begins with that foolish man waving his arms in the crowd. Hey, over here, Jesus, you got to help me. You know, forget about heaven and hell. Forget about religion. I forget about all that stuff about persecution and suffering for God's sake. No, 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 This is really important. I need you to divide, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. My older brother is a crook. You know what the Lord is telling him? He says, man, you're all worried about your brother dividing your father's inheritance. But, you know, you never stop to think that one day you're going to die. You know what's going to happen when you die? Your kids are going to be fighting over your inheritance. You brothers are fighting now. Your kids are going to be fighting a few decades from now. One day the grandchildren are going to come along and they're still going to be fighting over the inheritance. But, you know, the truth is that when a man dies, a.k.a. can fight all they want over the inheritance. But the man who died doesn't care anymore, does he? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And the Lord Jesus is looking at that wealthy man saying, don't you understand? You, you could, so what if you do get that inheritance? So what if I step in and decide for you? So what if you get the whole thing? What good is it going to be when you die? So what if you have ground that produces great fruit? So wonder if you're a tremendous businessman and, and you've got monies and you've got wealth and you've got riches and you've got investments and you get it all. What good are those things the moment that you're dead? What the man failed to realize is that God had something to say to him. And you might have missed it the first time, but notice in verse number 20, the phrase again, thy soul shall be required of thee. Is that a little unusual way to say it? I mean, why doesn't the Lord Jesus use the story and then end like this, that, sir, tonight you're going to die. But you know, that's not what he said. He didn't say to the wealthy man, you are going to die. He said to the wealthy man, your soul will be required. We drive by the cemetery and we see the stones commemorating the lives of people who have died. I, we hear it all the time. We face it all the time. It's in the news. We've witnessed a lot of it over the past year. The story of people who have died. And to us, a man lives and a man dies. But this story tells us that God sees it in a very different way. We think a man lives, the man gets sick, the man dies. But when someone dies, the Bible tells us to God, it is the day their soul is required. That word required, this man would appreciate it because it was a word from the business community. God is speaking in a language that the rich man can understand. The word require meant to recall. It was a legal exaction of a demand. It was when a claim was called in. It was the return on a loan. When it was time for the loan to be repaid, it was a bill that was required. When the credit card statement comes, it is required. When it's time to pay the mortgage every month, it is required. When it's time to pay the electric bill every month, it is required. Required. It is a business statement. It is a business phrase. In other words, that verse tells me that God looks at my life and God looks at your life differently than we do. We think this is my life and if I want to eat and drink and be merry, I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. This is my life and I'm going to go where I want to go and I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live where I want to live. I'm going to be what I want to be. It's my life and I'm going to make my choices. And God shakes his head and says, no, it isn't. God says, your life is alone from me. And at any time, God says, I can require the payment of that loan. And all of a sudden, life is very different, isn't it? 
And while a fool is waving his hands saying, hey, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. I don't care about hell. I don't care about religion. I don't care about all that other stuff. The real message here today is tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And now God looks at that man and he looks at his disciples and he looks at the multitude and he looks at the religious establishment and he said, when you die, you will discover and learn that this life is not yours to do as you please. Our lives are alone from God. And one day it's time to pay the loan back. One day there's a requirement. What happens on requirement day? What happens on that day that you stand before the Lord, the day that I meet the Lord? What kind of investment is God getting from you? What kind of investment is God getting from me? I so many people say, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. I've got my fire insurance policy. I'm going to live like I want, get where I want, be what I want. It is my life to do as I please. And God said, I paid greatly for your soul. I gave my son to die on a cross. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. My saved friend this morning at Grace Baptist Church, God is expecting a return on the investment of Calvary in your life and in my life. We do well to stop everything this morning and ask ourselves, what kind of investment is God getting? You and I are either laying up treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. Or you and I are all wrapped up in this world where everything passes away. You and I are living for eternity that counts. Or you and I are living for today and it doesn't mean a thing. We can lay up treasure there. We can live for pleasure, uh, eternity there. We can set our affections on things above. Or we can fall in love with what this world has to offer. But no follower of the Lord Jesus Christ can have it both ways. We can live for Jesus or we can live for ourselves, but we can't have it both ways. Which one do we choose? This morning, if you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, one day your soul will be required. It is appointed unto men once to die and after death a judgment. You're not going to escape that. I am not going to escape that unless we are the generation alive. When Jesus comes in the clouds, you and I have an appointment with eternity. You have and I have an appointment with death. No matter how wealthy, no matter how strong, no matter how healthy, no matter how good a life may be, no matter how much stuff, no matter how much pleasure at all, all comes down to the exact same place, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Are you ready for that day when your soul is required of thee? Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? He died on the cross. He was buried on the ground and he rose again. It is the Lord Jesus and only Jesus who can wash your sins away. If you have never called upon the name of the Lord, I beg with you this morning to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Not trust a church, not trust a minister, not trust your goodness. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know him as your savior this morning. My friend, you and I have got to ask ourselves, there is an investment the Lord has made in my life. One day that investment gets called in. What kind of return does he get from me? Years ago in my country, there was a singer famous, famous named Frank Sinatra. He was famous, quite honestly, for a lot of things. He was certainly famous for his beautiful singing voice, and he was famous for his acting ability at Hollywood, but, but I'm afraid there were other things that Frank Sinatra was famous for. He was famous for his fornication and his wickedness. 
He was famous for his four wives and multiple affairs. He was famous for his drinking, famous for his violence, famous for his crime associations. And yet of all the things that Frank Sinatra was famous for, perhaps number one would have been his beautiful golden singing voice that God invested in him. And you know, of all the songs that Frank Sinatra would sing, perhaps the one that stands the test of time more than all of them is the one that goes like this. Nor towards the end of his life, Frank Sinatra sang, and now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and much, much more than this, I did it my way. Frank Sinatra's famous as the man who did it his way. Right up and until May the 14th, 1998. On that day, Frank Sinatra's soul was required of God. A few days later, he was buried in Cathedral City, California. As they lowered his coffin in the ground, there was a bottle of Jack Daniels in his hand. Frank Sinatra arrogantly boasted that he lived his way. Perhaps that is true. But one day, he died on God's terms. And God said unto him, Thou fool. Thou fool, one more time, we have a story in the book of Luke with an open-ended ending. Whatever happens to that man in the company, whatever happens to that man who thought his inheritance was more important than his soul, whatever happened to that man who thought getting more goods and getting more treasures and taking at ease and eating and drinking and be marrying, whatever happened to that man? Did he ever repent and bow his knee to Christ? Did he continue in his folly? Did he continue in his sin? But the one thing the man of the company learned that day is the one thing every one of us learn, usually the hard way. No matter what we say, no matter what we think, one day our soul will be required of us. Are you ready for that day? Father in heaven, I ask and pray that our hearts would be tender towards the Bible, towards the Spirit of God. Would you remind us how frail our lives are? Would you remind us that our life, why it's like the, the vapor of the morning that disappears as the sun gets hot and rises. Remind us how short our life truly is. Now for your children at Grace Baptist Church, I ask and I pray that today, that today our priorities would be corrected, that we would seek the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Then, my Savior, I pray that you would do a mighty work for the one without Christ. May today be the day they call upon the name of Jesus and they are marvelously saved. Oh, Lord, may we teach us to number our days to that appointment where our souls are called in requirement. May we be prepared and ready to meet God. In the great name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. May God bless you today.